Welcome to another episode of Junior Achievement of South Florida's Recipe for Success. Just as there are no two recipes that contain the exact same ingredients or measurements, there are no two success stories exactly the same. Recipe for Success features entrepreneurs, visionary leaders, and innovators of all ages who will share the ingredients that make them successful. Here's your host, Lori Salarulo, President and CEO of Junior Achievement of South Florida. I'd like to welcome our guest, Joe Mullings, President and CEO of the Mullings Group Companies. Joe has built, been building companies and careers since the 1980s. He has built the world's leading search firm in the medical device industry with clients like Google and Johnson & Johnson. He is the President and CEO of the media company Dragonfly Stories, and I am sure that he is going to share some of his projects and some of the ingredients that made him successful with us today. So Joe, welcome to Recipe for Success. It is so great to have you here. Thank you so much for having me, and I, I love the setting here. This is really magical. Isn't it? Yeah. You know, we uh, just for those of you who, who I mentioned, we're in the catering kitchen. Just a little story quickly. So when we built this building, Mr. Wayne Heisinger, of course, was very instrumental in making it happen. This was originally a storage room, a warehouse. And we say, he said, well, you know, if you're going to rent out this building, you really need a catering kitchen. So when we had to decide where to film this show, um, this is where we have the best acoustics. And it just made for a great um, you know, idea of the recipes for success. I love so. it. I mean, every, success is a whole bunch of little parts, a whole bunch of little ingredients. You can give everybody the same ingredient in the same book, yet the outcomes are often different. I know, I love that about yeah. this. So, so before we go into some of those ingredients that made you successful and your company successful, I wanna share a little bit with our audience today about your story. Where did you start and, and how did you end up here? A shorter version, hopefully, sure. but, um, but just how did you end up here? Yeah, so um, I grew up in New York. Uh, I'm a Hicksville, New York boy. And I uh, went to school in uh, University of Dayton, Ohio, got an engineering degree. Spent a couple years as an engineer and realized right away that I couldn't work for somebody. Um, people said, were you always an entrepreneur? I said, yeah, but it was more about me not liking to be told what to do, <laughs> right? So that's where it started. And uh, I had started out early in my career, uh, owned a couple health clubs while I was an engineer, built those, upsold those, and then um, did well with that and uh, was on a break in between uh, uh, jobs. And, uh, Somebody said, why don't you try becoming a headhunter? And I said, what does that do? So I went in for an interview with a lovely man, Sebastian Avosi, and uh, I asked Sebastian about the job. He told me how much the top sales guy made the year before. He said, I'm in. That was December 4th, 1989. I went on to open up my own firm, and uh, we've been uh, at it for almost 30 years now. Wow. And uh, super progressive in what we do using technology, uh, interaction with people, outrageous customer service, and uh, now we uh, are uh, in five continents uh, with clients. And we, our firm specializes in just medical devices. And out of that, we um, started a production company that started to tell the stories around these amazing medical devices that keep people alive and extend their lives and the people who make them. And that's a docu-series that's coming out called True Future and will be premiering uh, on LinkedIn uh, in September. And it will be the first uh, production uh, uh, story of its type on, on the LinkedIn platform, which has over 500 million users. Interesting. So you've connected the healthcare yeah. uh, field and mm -hmm. industry with the production and, and uh, storytelling, I guess. Storytelling. Right? Yeah. So um, 
how did you get there? So, so I want to go back to something you said. You talked about your company being one of the largest, one of the best mm -hmm. in what, what you specialize in. Mm -hmm. How do you think you got there? What were the ingredients right, that got your company to be one of the top mm -hmm. in its field? Yeah, so I, I think one of the things is um, I really I love building companies and careers, and I always have. And it's important to really love what you do, and you hear that a lot, is you should go love what you do for your job. And you know, there's, there's part to that, but sometimes you shouldn't make a hobby a, a career. But on the flip side is if you're gonna be an entrepreneur uh, or a entrepreneur, maybe not owning your own business, but an entrepreneur inside of another company, there's gonna be a time that things are gonna become so hard and so difficult that it would make rational sense for you to quit. Um, but because you love it so much, you brush that off. And you're just like, no, I'm not going to quit. I love what I'm doing so much, I'm willing to break through this. And, and so I think I was lucky. I, I found something that I love. Um, and I found something that really made a difference in the world, meaning medical devices that kept people alive. And uh, I love technology. Uh, I love solving complex problems. And I love to coach, teach, and inspire. So that allowed me to build a firm around my love of that business. And probably one of the most important things an entrepreneur can do is select the right team around themselves in order to get that vision, that North Star realized and push it over the line. You know, um, one of the things that you said, I write down, uh, by the way, some of your ingredients. At the end, we're going to look at your recipe. Um, so if you're wondering why I'm writing all these things down. So one of the things you mentioned just now, and it's not something that you hear very often, um, was the entrepreneurship mm -hmm. uh, term. And I think that uh, that's something that I'm very conscious of here. Uh, we're training young people to be entrepreneurs, but most of them won't go into their own business. Mm -hmm. They will go and work for other companies. Mm -hmm. And so as I hire, as, as I know many other people who hire, we're hiring for those skills, right? The critical skills you and I talked a little bit about earlier. Um, that make someone think like an entrepreneur, mm -hmm. or, um, but they don't own the business. Mm -hmm. So talk a little bit about that, and how do you either find entrepreneurs, how do you create them, what is it you do to help them be successful? Yeah. That's a great question. Um, it's really cool now to be an entrepreneur. You know, People put it in their Instagram posts, and they might be building a big company or selling t-shirts or skateboards, whatever it is. Um, but when I became an entrepreneur in 1986, uh, that was a fancy word for unemployed. Right? <laughs> um, and so I think what you have to look at is whether you're an entrepreneur, an entrepreneur, or a entrepreneur, you have to realize that in today's day and age and moving forward, you are your business. And I don't want to be corny about that, but the development of your skills, and I don't mean work skills, but life skills, cognitive intelligence we chatted about, and also the important life skills, they used to be called soft skills, which is a shame, but the, the ability to communicate, uh, empathy, uh, uh, the ability to listen, uh, problem solve, those are critical skills. And we're moving into a time where Technology is accelerating at such a rapid pace right now that if you don't become a lifelong learner, and that lifelong learner isn't math and science any longer, it's being a lifelong learner as to what's going on in the world around you, and then how do you fit into that or how do you influence that. So we look for those skills in particular 
on are you a lifelong learner and, and what are those characteristics and traits? Or do you read? Are you learning a new language? Uh, did you pick up a new hobby? How did you pick up that new hobby? What did you do? Because about 70% of our spend right now in our country on education is in the first 20 years of life. You're going to live till 80, most likely. The next 60 years, which are probably more formative than the first 20, is where the least spend is. And so that's an interesting thing interesting. to discuss and debate. Because we are asking our youth to make these amazing life decisions. And we hold them almost despised that they haven't picked a college yet. And this is the least amount of life experience they're ever going to have in their life. You're asking them to make a decision on the rest of their life. And gosh, they just learned to tie their shoelaces a little while ago. And as parents or adults, we judge them. Yeah. Or we live vicariously through the college they select. And it's interesting, as parents, sometimes we think that college is the only choice. Mm. <clears throat> um, and we know that that's not always the case. Uh, there are trades where they can make amazing money. And not all of our kids are college kids. Um, and so I, I certainly uh, agree with you on that. And I, I sometimes wonder if we have things a little bit backwards. So not, as I said, not all of our kids will go to college. And even if they will, they may not know today what they want to be tomorrow. They're not supposed to. Right, exactly. And the research shows that they really only know about five to eight jobs that exist, mm -hmm. right? Mostly what our parents did mm -hmm. or what we see on TV. Mm -hmm. And so I wonder sometimes, you know, there are those handful of kids who, who know exactly what they want to do. They want to be doctors or lawyers and they know exactly what they want. And that's great. They should go for it. Mm -hmm. But I, I often think that for all of our other kids who aren't sure yet, yeah. They should go to work first. I agree. They should really go to work and figure out what I love, like you said. What do I love doing? And what, do I not, what am I not good at? What are my, what's the things that I really don't want to do? Right? And that's how I learned. I mean, I went to college, hated it, but I really began to understand where I wanted to go and what I wanted to be when I went to work. And so I think sometimes we should... Um, reverse the order that we're doing things in sometimes. Or give, or give the child room to breathe right. and have a plan. And it doesn't mean be irresponsible, get out of high school and just burn through the next right. two years of life, go into Burning Man, right? And, and, and doing irresponsible things. But most people grow up in the ecosystem that their parents have been able to expose them to. Right. And therefore, they remain hostage there. And so I think you're right. I think exposing our youth to more experiences, opportunities, um, only helps them in their responsible decision-making as they move forward selecting their life path, not the one their parents want to etch in their brain to be able to brag at at a cocktail party in Boca Raton. And you know what? Sometimes going to college um, first, but as opposed to going to work first. When you go to work, I think there's a maturity level that you bring to college. Um, I know with my own daughter, she didn't want to go to school at first, went to work, and now she's doing amazing in college, where she was failing the classes before. So I think it really depends on the kid, but I think we need to give them those options. Joe, one of the things we talked about earlier was you mentioned about healthcare and recruitment and, and all of that, and then also tying in the technology piece. Um, and so tell me a little bit about that. How did you end up bringing that technology piece, production piece, into healthcare and why? 
So we, the quick story, uh, about five years ago, Johnson & Johnson and Google came to us and uh, they interviewed 27 firms and they said, we're building this robot, this medical device robot that's gonna operate on people and it's, it's the future. And uh, it's in the Bay Area and we want you to get all these PhDs for us and all these scientists and all these software engineers, but you can't show them the robot, you can't let them inside the, wall, the, the hallways of Google, you can't even tell them what we're making, but nonetheless, we want you to compete with Tesla and Facebook and Apple and get all those engineers to come here. And we're not gonna pay them as much either. <laughs> okay. So I said, Challenge. I'm up for it, right? And um, so we thought about it and I said, you know, people always respond to magical storytelling. Now, you, you can't tell stories to fool people. You can tell stories though to intrigue people and have them lean in more. So we developed this extraordinarily disruptive idea of telling these stories about for a hiring narrative of working at Google and J&J &J to make this amazing robot, you have a choice. You can keep somebody on the Facebook browser for another 27 seconds, or you can deploy your superpowers as a coder, as a software engineer, and potentially take part in, in developing a robot that will change the world, democratize surgery, and maybe even save your grandmother. You pick. And we did that with a production team, a very small production team, and it was incredibly effective. And there were many other benefits that came out of it, esprit de corps in the organizations that we were doing the work for, uh, adjacent hiring and, and branding for clients, uh, the people who were featured in the content we were developing, uh, had a chance to show what they're doing to their friends, were, you know, a lot of times people don't know, oh, you make a medical device? Oh, you mean it's, you're in the pharmaceutical business? No, I make implants that keep your heart beating. And let me explain it to you. And, so you don't get that very often. And that blew up into a very, very large business for us. It was fun for me because I have a brain that always needs to be learning. And I learned the production business. And now we have teammates who were, uh, you know, docu-series award winners, uh, uh, reality TV producers. Uh, we've got a very large studio in Delray Beach that we have blown out, 10,000 square foot facility that we just moved into. And we're creating this content and it spawned the docu-series True Future that premieres the first week of September. And we're traveling the world telling these amazing stories and sharing these amazing technologies and explaining that we're all a lot more alike than we are different. And diversity actually builds, it doesn't tear down. And that's the essence of what we're doing with True Future and using storytelling on a digital platform. Very interesting. So how do you apply, so, so that's telling the story of uh, the devices and how it changes people's lives and, and the companies that they'll be working for and the good things that they're doing. How did you use that to tell the story, um, your story, yeah. right, personally, as well as your companies, right? Mm -hmm. So you're telling them the story of what they could do if they go into a job like that, but how did you tell the story of your company and why they should work with you and then also tell the story of your, your own, right, who are you? Mm -hmm. So, um, people call it branding. Uh, I call it reputation. And so, one of the things that drives me is I love to teach, build, and inspire. And on our platform that we use, and, and, and we are um, uh, very, very present on LinkedIn specifically, and I love that platform because I think it's 
one of the most um, powerful uh, uh, platform, requires a high level of intelligence, you want to have to learn, and there's not a lot of trolls on it, which is really nice. But it's a platform for learning more than anything else. So on there, what we do is we just give, 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 give. We give information, we give uh, thoughts, we give, again, it's Joe Mullings on the LinkedIn platform. And we just want to have you learn when you come to us. And then if and when you have a need, I'll just be hap happening to stand, be standing in plain sight in front of you and be like, you know what? We need to find a vice president, a CEO, and a head of sales. That Mullings guy and his team put out amazing stuff that benefits and holds up our industry. Let's call him. Now, of course, you still have to have a great performing team to deliver on what it is that the organizations want from you. Uh, but we make ourselves very visible and able to be found when you do have a need. Mm, I love it. You know, we're trying to do a lot of that here at JA. Um, and because, you know, Junior Achievement is one of thousands of nonprofits here in, in South Florida. And so how do we stand out from the rest, right? And so we need to tell the story of the difference that these programs make in our children's lives and how they prepare them for the situations like we talked about. Um, you just talked about um, something, and you mentioned uh, high-performing teams. Mm -hmm. Describe what a high-performing team is, right, yeah. and how do you develop them? Yeah, so I think the first thing you have to do is make sure everybody's aligned with what their own personal goals are. So you don't have to have a one-for-one -one match on the goal, but that North Star has to be known to everybody who's gonna, have, gonna come on the team and be a contributor. And then you have to make sure that in the interview process and the discovery process that you clearly can share what it is you stand for and what you're trying to do in the world today. And then you invite the people who come in to consider going to work with your team, that as a pathway for them to realize their own goals, whether it's personal development impacting the world, uh, exercising their incredible cognitive intelligence skills and building a medical device, but they can facilitate their own personal fulfillment, not happiness, because those are two different things, mm -hmm. their own personal fulfillment while riding on that spaceship with you. And then you can always drill down on cognitive intelligence. You can test on that. But what we do look for are those other skills that are really important, because every championship football team, I know we're down here in South Florida, and we should talk about the Dolphins, mm -hmm. but let's talk about somebody like the Pats. And you've got a, Tim, uh, a Brady, right? and everybody wants to be that, that's the superstar, but there's 55 other people on that team, plus the supporting managers, and the coaches, and the trainers, and the people who drive the buses. And all those people are a reason why that team is wildly successful as a legacy winner. And so I think it's important that each person knows the role they're walking into, but more importantly, you provide a tremendous path of personal growth for them and in our organization, we meet every 90 days, not once a year, and make sure that we're aligning with what their personal goals are and, and growth are on what our deliverables are that we're trying to bring to the world. And if you don't interview for that in the beginning, there's no way for you to attain that halfway through the trip. And so uh, identifying personal goals, you know, it's really interesting because I do a lot of reading these days on employee engagement. Um, is such a huge challenge. I, I almost want to say it's a challenge for many CEOs. Um, and not even CEOs, but I meet managers and directors who manage people, and they say their biggest frustration is 
um, really trying to figure out how to make their employees happy, how to engage them, how to make them, um, you know, want, want to be a part of what they're trying to accomplish. And so you mentioned just now um, that it isn't about happiness, right? And so what is it that makes them engaged? Is it honing in on those personal goals? Is that what you have found? Is that the secret? I don't know if there's a secret, um, but I will tell you it's not happiness. Happiness is fleeting. Fulfillment tends to stay around for quite a while. And it's like any relationship or any marriage, uh, deep, meaningful one, is making sure that you both know upfront what you're signing up for and realize that there's going to be great days and lousy days. And that on par, you want to make sure that you're fulfilling and paying attention to the other person's needs. And I don't like the word manager, and it gets thrown around a lot. And instead, and, and again, it's not wordsmithing, is leader. There's a, anybody can manage, not everybody can lead. And unfortunately, we tend to promote people up to managers who are the highest performers, but maybe not the best leaders and facilitators. And that's where I see as I work and coach organizations that you'll get somebody who's a great salesperson and we promote her or him to a VP of sales and they're the worst leader on the team. But what made them a great individual contributor is actually the thing that counters them being a great, great leader. Right. And the flip side is when was the last time a VP of sales was your worst sales performer that got promoted there? When usually that might be the very best leader on a team of selfish, high-performing salespeople. Yeah, I hear that so often. Joe, we've talked a lot about uh, building your company and what has helped to make your company successful. Now I want to talk a little bit about you, about Joe. What ingredients would you say? What, you know, what are those key things? You know, I love, I'm not a big cook. Mm. I love to cook Italian and I really love to make cheesecakes. And so I have this big list of 300 cheesecakes. And I can tell you that every single one of them, the main ingredient is cream cheese, right? Mm -hmm. um, what's the main ingredient in your recipe for success? Wow, that's a really good question. Nobody put it to me like that before. You know, I, I would say if I had to, I'm going to throw two words in. Uh, and one is perseverance and the other one is endurance. Um, those are the two things that I believe from early days have set me apart. First, it was physical as a high-end athlete. Um, and then it was mental uh, and then emotional. Having, a, having emotional uh, endurance is really important because it allows you to not react from a position of insecurity, which is typically will promote bad behavior. And um, having that ability to sit under a heavy load for a long time without a degradation of um, my concern for the other person I'm doing work with. And because oftentimes we become, it's too easy to become selfish rather than being patient, waiting long enough, and then both parties get to where they want to go. So I, I would say that would be it. And that was learned over a number of um, pretty compelling life events for me uh, over the last uh, uh, 20 years, 25 years. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting. I, I often, my daughter or, you know, we hear the young people say, oh, but I, I can't do that or I didn't do it or I failed or I, I prefer to say I've fallen, right? Um, and I'm not the commercial where I can't get up because I'm going to get up, yeah. right? Yeah. And that's the key is teaching them about that, yes, we will make mistakes. Yes, we will struggle. 
um, things will not always go the way we planned mm -hmm. uh, as entrepreneurs and, and as leaders, right? Um, as a human being. Exactly, exactly. Not just in the workplace, but in our personal lives as well. And so how do we, so how have you um, gotten through those times? I mean, you, you know, you've built up your endurance over the years, yeah. right? That's something we built. Yeah. What was it that you, the first time that happened or the second mm -hmm. time, you know, how did you deal with it? So uh, some of it has to do with, look, I love my parents, you love your parents, but they really screwed us up. <laughs> they, they imprinted in you our brains. You hear that, brains. mom and dad? You screwed us up. They imprinted in our brains their insecurities. When you sat around that kitchen table and the aunts, uncles, friends, neighbors, they put limitations on you and they scratched into your brain what's good, what's bad, what's win, what's lose. And they also put their timelines on that. So over the years, what I've shared with my children and I share with anybody and I coach a lot of people is, there's no win or lose, there's only outcomes. And there's, there's less desirable and more desirable. And when you start to look at the world that way, you all of a sudden empower yourself not to go into a fetal position when something appears to not go ideal on how you wanted the outcome to declare itself. And then also you have to understand that we often put timelines on ourselves that are unfair. And so most of the time, I'm 57, I'm still in the second inning. And that's not just self-talk, that's just reality, is I'm in the second inning. And so if something doesn't work at the rate that I want it to, it doesn't mean that I'm apathetic. It just means I'm gonna give it time to tease itself out or I'm gonna make an adjustment, but I never have failed. I've never crashed and burned. I've had a less desirable, desirable outcome that I've made note of and adjusted on. And so, you know, that I think has driven me a lot. You know, five years ago, I got diagnosed with congestive heart failure and I probably am not supposed to be statistically here today. I was in Mallorca, Spain. I crashed on the bike. Uh, we came back to the States, flew back to the States. I was diagnosed up in Boca. Uh, my heart was working at one-fifth the rate it was supposed to. I had apparently a couple years earlier caught a virus and the conversations with me were heart transplant and left ventricular assist device. Oh. And so everybody wanted to take a huge pity party for me and then make me a cardiac cripple. And instead what I did was I decided to do it the way that I wanted. And I fired one of the top heart failure doctors in the world because he wanted to prescribe to me through his fears and statistics, not through what I knew I was capable of. And so I recruited an energy healer Right, I, I, I went all aspects, diet, my wife took good care of me, she always did, we took a little extra special, and we cut out the things that could be liabilities, and we just made sure we rewired in our head what the outcome was going to be. And so statistically, five years later, 50% of the people die with heart failure, and I'm healthier than ever right now. And I do believe it's because of that rewiring and approach. And that's just one example of Deciding that what somebody calls you or wants to put you in a category of comes from their insecurities and fears, not mine. Really, really good. Um, you mentioned things, you said it in two different ways. You said adjusting, right? And then you also talked just now about doing it a different way, right? Mm -hmm. And doing it your way. Mm -hmm. um, how much has that, that ability to adapt or to adjust uh, how, how much has that played a role in your success? Well, I think it's critical. It's, it's a critical skill set. And life's about patterns. All pa patterns just repeat themselves time and time again. They're multi-generational. Um, you can go back to the beginning of time. 
and the patterns declare themselves. It's just the costumes and the players change. You know, everybody wants to point to social media as being mind-bending. Look, before that it was the TV, before that it was the radio, before that it was the newspaper and the printing press. It was all the same behavior spewing propaganda to get us to think a certain way. And so when you look at everything that goes on in our world, they're just a repeat of patterns that have occurred. So if you start to realize that, and you look at the carbon base of everything that happens, you become super powerful and you become calm, knowing that it's highly predictable what's going to happen. And I just need to figure out the players in that, and I need to figure out where I'm going to fit in on that. Interesting. Yeah, staying calm. I think that's important, and I think so often we don't in times of change, right? Because change is so difficult for people. Um, well, it's because we project that fear. Right. So. Or and sometimes, you know, I think for me is sometimes it's, it's about not looking too far out. I want to know what the immediate future, where do I think things are going to go? Um, what do I think might happen and play out every different? But if I go too far out, sometimes that's when those fears and insecurities, and I yes. use a perfect example, when my oldest uh, was born, my son Patrick was born with Down syndrome. And I remember the doctors coming in and they were all nervous and I was like, all right, but, like we got this, okay? Mm -hmm. um, but one of the things that was interesting was that uh, a woman came to see me who worked at a place for, you know, like a center for kids mm -hmm. with disabilities. And she talked about the future and how, you know, sometimes uh, people with Down syndrome can, can end up with Alzheimer's very early. And I was like, stop. I'm not thinking about when Patrick's 40. I don't want to think about when Patrick's 50. I need to deal with now and the next few years and how do I help him get to where he needs to get to so that in the future, right, hopefully he won't be one of those statistics. I can't think 40 or 60 years out because that's just way too frightening for me. And you can't do anything about it. Exactly. I can't control it. <laughs> that's right. If that's what's going to happen, that's what's going to happen. And so I think you're so right. It's dealing with that, you know, the immediate today, the present, and then, of course, you know, looking a little bit further out. And too many people tell themselves their own story. And oftentimes, mm -hmm. thanks to our parents and those who raised us, it tends to be negative. Yeah. And it doesn't mean to look at the world through these rose-colored glasses. The world is what it is. It's neither good nor bad. And if you can approach it in that Buddhist fashion, and I don't mean it, it has nothing with religion, it just is what it is, and just deal with it. Don't tell yourself a hyped up story downrange that it hasn't occurred yet. Right. And I think you can make it good or bad. Absolutely I mean, you know, I, I think there are, we can focus on the positive or we can focus on the negative uh, in, in anything, whether right. it's in life, in business, um, you know, and, and I, again, when I talk with other leaders and they talk about the challenges, I'm like, okay, well, you could focus on that, but, or you could focus on how do we continue to grow and make things better and, and improve. So, so I am an optimist. I choose to focus on the positive. Uh, on the blessings, right, and the, the wonderful things that I think we've had the opportunities to do. Uh, and I'm thrilled to be able to lead an organization that is going to help prepare what you said, the people that are going to come and work for you, those entrepreneurs, uh, to, to excite someone about being an entrepreneur like you uh, and to be prepared for life and for work and for everything that's out there um, and that they deserve to have. So and to be a giver. And, and one of the things I think that entrepreneur uh, it means to me is to be able to give and share. Uh, and because that, you can make all the money you want. Uh, you can have all the, quote, perceived power you want. 
But until you learn to share and give without the accept, expectation of anything in return, you end up being hollow. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And so we are thrilled. Thank you so much. Oh, I'm going to read you a recipe okay. for success. And I'm going to add that last piece about giving uh, to the recipe because I think that that's really important. So uh, let's talk a little bit and read Joe's recipe for success. One, you've got to love what you do. Otherwise, because it's going to get super hard and you're going to want to quit. That's right. Number two, select the right team. I always say you got to have the right people around you because I'm really good at this, but I'm not really good at that. So uh, be a lifelong learner. We talked a lot about that. Telling the story, whether it's your story, the company's story, or the, the successes right, of the company and the different devices and so forth. Um, teaching, building, and inspiring others. I love that one. Um, and I think it's so important as leaders that we continue to do that. Reputation, building that reputation. Who do you want to be? Who do you want people to know that you are? Uh, clear mission, understanding where you're going, whether it's you or your employees. Identifying personal goals. And not only so tying that together with the mission of the company is where does everyone want to go? Perseverance, which I love. I think we, we tend to give up sometimes too easily. And so um, I love, love that one. And endurance, emotional endurance. Yeah, we can, re you know, life is, is not a sprint. It is absolutely a marathon. And right. so we better have endurance exactly to get through true. it. Um, patience, I love that. And I think as I've gotten older, uh, I've become more patient, um, I hope. So uh, no winning and losing. Only I outcomes. love that. Only, Only outcomes. outcomes. And giving. Yeah. Um, we need to make sure that we're always giving back and helping others, and I love that. This is an amazing recipe for success. It's no wonder that you have accomplished everything that you've accomplished, uh, your company, personally, health-wise, um, and I just want to say thank you. It has been an absolute joy to have you here. I'm grateful for your time uh, and for all that you do, and so thank you for joining us on Recipe for Success. Again, if you'd like to learn more about Junior Achievement or about the Joe Mullings Group and more of what he does, please visit us at jasouthflorida.org. Thanks for joining us today on Recipe for Success.